every summer now for, for uh, probably uh, over 10 years, the Lord has opened the door for me to be able to go to camps and, and different conferences and preach uh, to young people primarily. And every year, God gives me uh, a few messages that I'll use, not exclusively, but they just kind of seem to be the message of the, of the year. And uh, this year, as I was traveling, actually coming back from um, Texas towards the end of the summer, I was getting ready to, to be at our junior high camp. God gave me a message for our junior hires. And I've used it a few times since then, and, and it's a message that I've preached at our college. And I just think it's something that I couldn't get off of my mind. And I've been at it long enough. I'm certainly not a seasoned veteran, but I've been at it long enough to know that if there's a word that you can't get off your mind, it's probably something that someone in the church needs to hear. And so I want to bring it to you tonight. We're looking at the first war in the Bible. Genesis chapter number 14, it's, it's the first war. Of course, there was a war in heaven, but this would be the first war on earth. In our passage, Lot, Abraham's backslidden nephew, is living in Sodom. He's living there. He's comfortable there. He's made his choice in chapter number 13 to depart from Abraham and to take up residence in the city of Sodom. He is living it up. He chose the wealth and the opportunity of Sodom. The Bible clearly states that he lifted up his eyes and he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. And he chose the well-watered plains of Jordan over the plains of Jehovah. He chose Lot, chose the wealth and the opportunity that seemed so abundant in Sodom. The bright lights had flashed in front of Lot. And in a moment of time, at a crossroads of life, he traded his wife, his children, his influence, his testimony for the money, the popularity, and the position that he found in Sodom. And while he's living it up at the gate of Sodom, unbeknownst to him, four kings make a league together, and they decide to invade the five kings that made up the confederate of nations of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah soon finds themselves at war. By the way, you can choose to walk away from God, but you can't always choose what happens on that journey. You can't always choose, you know, no matter how you try to safeguard it, no matter what kind of protections you put in place, uh, inevitably the unthinkable happens. And here's Lot living it up, having the time of his life, and war breaks out. Sodom is losing the battle, and their king, Bera, retreats to the slime pits. Pretty good place for the king of Sodom to go to, the slime pits. And while his army flees to the mountains, look at it, at it, if you would, in verse number 10 of chapter 14. The Bible says, And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountains. So the armies are turned away. And these five kings, I'm sorry, these four kings win the battle over Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Sodom is soon looted and ransacked. All of the goods, all of the possessions of Sodom are carried away. Look what the Bible says in verse number 11. It says, they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the victuals, and they went their way. Not only were the possessions of Sodom carried away, but some of the people were carried away. In verse number 12, the Bible says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. So Lot is taken captive. Sodom and Gomorrah ransacked, looted, all of the possessions carried away. The armies have fled to the mountains. The kings are retreated in the slime pits. And Lot is now a captive. He's a, he's a prisoner of, of, uh, of this, this invading army. And Abraham hears what happens. He hears that Lot has been carried away. He probably knew that something like this would happen. He probably knew the moment that Lot made the choice to walk away from God and to walk away from the faith, he, he probably knew that inevitably it would end with heartache, but he didn't think it would happen this fast. He hears that Lot has been carried away, and he decides to go get him back. Look at verse number 14. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his house. 318, and he pursued them unto Dan. Abraham heard that his nephew was in bondage, and he said, we're going to go get him back. I used to read this passage, and, and I used to read it wrong. I used to even preach it wrong. And it's terrible when, when the Bible gets in the way of, you know, your sermons, but I used to preach it wrong. I used to preach that Abraham trained his servants, that he went home and that he trained his servants to go rescue Lot. But that's not what the Bible says. In verse number 14, the Bible says that he armed his trained servants. You see, he didn't have time to train his servants. And the Bible never says that he trained his servants. He, he simply gave them some armor, gave them some weapons. They were already trained. They already knew what to do. They already could fight a battle. And so he, he pointed them in the right direction. 318 men in his house who knew what they were doing. They knew how to battle. They knew how to fight already. And so he pointed them in the right direction and said, let's go get my nephew Lot. Hey, that's why it's important that you and I uh, do right and and that we are right all the time because we never know when we're going to be called into action. We never know when as Christians we're going to be called upon uh, to help rescue somebody. Uh, I'm glad that Abraham didn't give up on Lot. Uh, I think as a church we need to be careful not to cast out the backslidden. There's going to be people who mess up. There's going to be people who make mistakes. There's going to be people who don't think straight in a moment and they don't act right and they they make bad choices and and there's going to be people uh, who have to live with the consequences of those choices uh, for a while but I never see in the Bible where you and I are to give up on backslidden people 
somebody who knows how to pray, somebody who knows their Bible, somebody who uh, has the compassion of God needs to be able to say, uh, we're going to go and get them back. You see, there ought to be an army of spiritual people in this place. As a youth pastor of the church, I'm often asked, Brother Judah, you know, what can we do? What can we do? Some of our graduates will graduate and maybe they'll get out of church. And by the way, it's not most, uh, but one is too many, uh, but sometimes they'll graduate, they'll get away from the Lord. And people will ask me, Brother Judah, what can we do? What can we change? Uh, what, what can we tweak in the program to make sure that doesn't happen? Hey, I think there's always going to be some that backslide and get away from God. Here's what we can do right now. We can be trained servants right now. I mean, you and I, there ought to be an adult for every single teenager that attends City Baptist, every single teenager that attends Hammond Baptist, every single teenager that rides our buses, there ought to be an adult in the pew who knows the Bible, who knows how to get a hold of God, who knows how to pray, who, who doesn't need to be talked into it, doesn't need to be motivated. There ought to be an adult. All we should have to do is point you in the right direction and say, hey, there's somebody out there that needs rescued. Go rescue them. Somebody who's skilled, somebody who uh, has been trained, who knows how to fight, who knows how to pray, who has enough spiritual armor on to go and win a battle. You see, in some cases, we can't help those who are worldly because we're worldly. We can't help those who are fallen because we're fallen. And carnal people can't save carnal people. Worldly people can't help worldly people. Uh, people in bondage can't deliver other people in bondage. The blind can't lead the blind church. We need some trained servants ready to fight. And God gives Abraham the victory. Him and these 318 men, they track down these kings that are marching away with Lot. And God gives them the victory, and soon Abraham is bringing back the goods, the spoil, and the people. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says, and he, Abraham, brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also, and the people. On the way back, with Lot, and the people, and the goods, the Bible says in verse uh, number 16 that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Uh, he meets Melchizedek. We believe Melchizedek is a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. You can read in the New Testament how he's the king of peace. And he greets Abraham and he blesses him and he prays over him. And he gives him bread and wine. He gives him substance. A picture of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And soon after, Melchizedek sees Abraham. He's greeted by another person. Look, if you would, in verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram. The king of Sodom heard that Abraham defeated the league of kings. He crawls out of the slime pit where he probably should have stayed. He dusts himself off. He goes to Abraham and this contingent of people that are coming back. The king of Sodom, we understand that Sodom represents the wicked society in which we're living. 
Sodom is an evil worldly system. The corruption, the abortion, the problems that are gripping uh, our world today, the depression, the confusion, all of this is represented in one word, Sodom. And the king of Sodom is a type of Satan himself. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded them which believe not. And so here we have, uh, right here in the pages of our Old Testament, an appearance of, of Christ, and I believe an appearance of Satan. Satan had already deceived Lot. He had already blinded Lot. He had already made a deal with Lot, and now he has his eyes set on Abraham. He waits for Melchizedek to leave. He cleans himself off. He stands in the way. Look at what he says to Abraham. Just look at it. Verse number 21, the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. He offers Abraham a deal. He says, Abraham, you've done a good job. Now, give me the people that you have with you. Give me Lot and the women and the children, but give them back to me and I'll let you keep the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'll let you keep the possessions. Give me the people and take the goods to your, for yourself. And tonight I want to preach just three simple thoughts in this story. A message entitled, Making a Deal with the Devil. Making a Deal with the Devil. You know, the devil's in the deal-making business. The devil is active in our world today. The devil wants you as a church, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a teenager, as a college student, as a staff member. The devil wants you to make a deal. He's extending his crooked hand. He opens his slimy mouth. He, he has a proposal. The first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the proposal itself. He says, Abraham, in verse number 21, give me the people, give me the persons, and take the goods. Abraham, here's the contract. Here's the signing bonus. I have a nice golden pen for you to sign on the dotted line. Uh, it's real simple, Abraham. You can keep everything that Sodom can give to you. You can keep all of the goods. You can keep all of the money. You can keep all of the wealth. But give me the people. Uh, I find it fascinating that Satan is interested in people. I find it remarkable that while the people of God have fallen asleep in areas like soul winning and discipleship and buses, and Satan is still after the people. In this area, Satan has his priorities straight. He says, Abraham, take my stuff, take my goods, take my thoughts, take my ideas, take my priorities. Uh, you can have all the goods of Sodom, but give me the people. And what is heartbreaking in 2023 is that we have young people that are this close to making a deal with the devil. Hey, we have parents who are failing in this area because we are negotiating with Satan. We are negotiating with the devil. We have parents and, and adults and even
even preachers who have pulled up a chair at the table and, and they don't go to Sunday night church anymore and, and they're not interested in paying a Christian school bill anymore and, and they really don't want their kids to go off to Bible college anymore. Hey, they're basically saying, uh, take the goods, take the goods. And that's the proposal that Satan wants to offer. Parents, one of the greatest things you can do is give your children to God and then tell them that you've done that. Give them to God and then, and then take the time to look in their eyes and say, like Hannah said to Samuel, I've, I've lent you to the Lord. I've given you to God. Now, all three of my children at some point in time, and I'm not a perfect dad, but all three of my children, I've tried to say to them, uh, you don't belong to me. You belong to God. If God were to call you uh, to be a missionary, if God were to call you to go off somewhere, I want you to know, man, hey, it might hurt. It'll break our heart for a short period of time, but you don't belong to us. You belong to God. And that's, that's ought to be our attitude. It ought to be our attitude. He said to Samson, this deal with the devil, he said to Samson, he said, Samson, I'll give you pleasure. I'll give you thrill in the arms of Delilah. Samson, you can live on the edge, but here it is, Samson. Give me the nation of Israel. It will cost you the people, Samson. Your mom and dad are going to be heartbroken as they attend your funeral. Your friends will be enslaved. But Samson, you can enjoy Sodom for a while. Just enjoy it. Take the goods, but give me the people. Judas, how does 30 pieces of silver sound, Judas? How's a raise sound? How's a bag of money sound, Judas? Here it is. It's yours. Go buy what your heart desires. It's what Sodom can give to you. But Judas, it'll cost your testimony. It'll cost your good name. It'll cost your ministry. It'll cost your integrity. Uh, Judas, uh, give me the miracles that no doubt would have been performed in your life. Give me the people, Judas. Give me the people and I'll take the goods. Or you can have the goods for yourself. You see, church, the deal is always the same. Uh, in your life and in my life, Satan wants us to trade the invisible for the visible. That, that's, that's the deal that he offers to every home right now, uh, to every teenager, to every college student, to every adult in the church. That's the deal. He wants you to trade the invisible for the visible. Give me, give, take the goods, but give me the people. I can remember the Thursday night of camp. And I won't belabor the story, but I was a young teenager and sitting there on the edge of my seat on a Thursday night at, at uh, Oak Ridge Christian Ranch. And I was there listening to the preaching, and I still remember the preacher. I don't remember the message, but I do remember the preacher. And I remember all of it being so new to me and, and uh, really just, just enjoying the week. The preacher preached the message. He gave the invitation. When he said, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Look, I'm telling you, I felt like God himself was speaking to my heart. I felt like God himself was knocking on my heart's door. I didn't hear an audible voice. Uh, I would question anyone who claims that they did. Uh, but it was an impression of God on my heart. Abdel, serve me. Abdel, be a preacher. 
Abdel, uh, I didn't know all the lingo. I, I couldn't phrase it like we would phrase it now, but there was something burning on the inside of me that said, Abdel, I want you to spend your life doing uh, what you've heard this man do all week as he's preached at camp. And I can remember sitting there and, and thinking about it and wondering if I could do it and, and wrestling back and forth. And all of a sudden, just as clear as, as the voice of God said, give me your life, there was another voice that said, Abdel, uh, what about college? And what about your plans? And, and what about your future? And how is this going to work out? There was another voice whispering, don't move. Uh, hold on to your life. Don't step up. Don't sell out. I'm telling you, it was Satan himself saying, uh, take the goods, but give me the people, trade the invisible for the visible. See, I couldn't see my future family. I couldn't see the hundreds of people that would surrender their lives to the cause of Christ someday. I couldn't see uh, really the thousands of people, and I'm nobody, but, but I couldn't see the thousands of people I would preach to. I couldn't see the invitations at camps and conferences, and, and I could not see the youth groups that would be led and the youth revivals as a 15-year-old boy. Man, it was invisible to me, and that the devil was there saying, trade the invisible for the visible. You see, there are people to reach, but we'll never reach them. There are lives that are supposed to be touched by your life, and it'll never happen if you make a deal with the devil. I wish you could see it, church. God has big plans for you. God has big plans for this place, and God has big plans for your life, and God has big plans for your home. Don't make a deal for the devil. Don't trade away the invisible for the visible. He wants you to trade the incorruptible for the corruptible. Abraham, take this money. Take this car. Take the clothes. Take all the goods of Sodom. All the goods that someday will rot away, someday will, will break down. Take all of these things. Give me the never-dying souls. He wants you to trade souls for stuff. There's a lot of stuff in Sodom. Get our attention, man. It's Christmas time, you know. There's a lot of presents under the tree. And if we're not careful, we'll forget that the most important thing in our life is our faith and the people sitting next to us right now. You parents, man, you've got a child next to you. The most important thing in your life is that child sitting next to you. It's not another hour of overtime. It's not another position somewhere. I'm not against it. But keep your priorities and straight because the devil will say, take the goods. Give me the people. I've had a few opportunities along the way, not many. And I'm not against people that take opportunities. I'm not against secular work. And those of you that know me, you know that to be true, obviously. That, that, that's a given. That's an obvious. But when somebody's called by God to preach, then I am against those things. I'm for the will of God. Do you understand that? I've had some opportunities come along my way. But I never would preach at our time in Iowa and see the move of God. Had I taken some of those things, I'd never preach youth conference in Hammond. I'd never make my way to Indian Creek with our teens or Triple S and see God sweep into a service. I'd never lead a group of teens at school camp or youth revival. You see, the king of Sodom is looking to make a deal. I'll give you the corruptible things. Give me the incorruptible. I'll give you a thrill. Give me your future. 
I'll give you some alcohol or whatever. Give me the peace of God in your life. I'll give you some popularity. You give me your influence. And there's some people in this room right now, man, you, you've signed that paper. You've, you've made the deal. I see number one, the proposal. Give me the persons. Take the goods to, my, to thyself. Number two, I see the passion. Look at verse number 22. I love verse number 22. I love what Abraham says to the king of Sodom. And I love the passion that he says it with. Our theme for 2024 is a passion for thee. Know that God would give us some passion again. Look at what he says in verse number, verse number uh, 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Listen to the passion in verse 23, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Boy, I love the passion of Abraham, where he looks at the king of Sodom, and he says, listen here, I don't want anything coming from you. I don't want a song. I don't want a style. I don't want a picture. I don't want a priority. I don't want anything coming from you. If I take something from you, I'll owe something to you. I'm good, king of Sodom. I don't want any of those things. It was a predetermined choice. Look at verse number 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord. He said, hey, I've already made a promise. I've already made a commitment. I've already made a vow. I've already uh, uh, told the Lord that when this day comes and I can trade the invisible for the visible and I can trade the incorruptible for the corruptible, I've already said I'm not going to do it. It doesn't matter what you offer me. It doesn't matter the opportunities. I'm going to stay after the people. Yeah. Would to God our church would make a, a predetermined choice. Yeah. I see churches that have traded in. Listen, we've, we've traded in souls in some cases for buildings and big offerings. Yeah. That's a problem. Churches have done that. Yeah. Taken the goods, traded the people. There may come a day where Satan tempts me to go back to the world. I want to make a predetermined choice right now. Amen. Not going back. Not going back. Man, it may be get difficult and this whole Sunday night thing and Wednesday night thing and I'm spending a lot of money in gas and the Christian school and I don't know, maybe we could slow down a little bit. Parents, man, why don't you just decide right now, I'm not going to take the goods over the people. There's nothing in Sodom for me. I don't want a shoe latchet. I don't want a thread. I don't want anything. It's a predetermined choice. Number one, the proposal. Number two, the passion. And then my favorite part of the message. Look at number three. Number three, I've got the payoff. The payoff. You see, it wasn't just about Lot in this moment. It was about all the people that, that Abraham's life would touch someday. It wasn't just about this one choice. It was about that covenant given in chapter number 12. It was about those types of things, the payoff. Sometimes a teenager will say to me, Brother Jude, is it worth it to serve God? Is it really worth it? 
Is it really worth it to, you know, go off to college or what? Is it really worth it to serve the Lord? Man, the payoff is great. I was preaching this summer in Houston, Texas, and a youth meeting there. Then I stayed and preached Sunday at the church. And, and uh, it was a Friday night youth meeting, and I was preaching. And, and uh, just like I'm preaching right now, just, just teeing it high and letting it fly. I was preaching, and, and God did a good work in the service. And after the service, some young people were saved. And, and uh, I really didn't know the churches that were in attendance. I had never preached to that particular group of teens before. They were there from all over the area. And so I had been to that church, but never, you know, to the surrounding churches. They were having a regional youth meeting. And, and uh, I was just rejoicing the fact that, that some people got saved. There was a, a young girl in the audience. I think she was 14 or 15. Man, she got saved that night. And on the way home, she was texting her mother. Her church was about an hour and a half from, from the meeting where we were at. She was texting her mom and saying, Mom, I got saved. I've been struggling with my salvation. I got saved. And, and uh, her mom was excited. And her mom was texting her saying, tell me about the service. And she said, I'll tell you when I get home. And, and uh, anyhow, uh, when the teenage girl got home, her mom was there. And her mom had a friend there. And the friend was listening. And, and the mom said, tell me about the service. She said, Mom, it was a great service. She said, this guy preached. She said it was crazy. She said, she said he, he told stories and jokes. And he said, she said, we were, we were laughing and we were crying. And, and uh, by the end of it all, I had been wrestling with my salvation. I knew I needed to get, get it settled. The mom said, what was his name? The teen girl said, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I think it was something like, like Abdul, something like that. Now, my name's not Abdul, all right? It's Abdel, and I actually get highly offended when people call me Abdul. It's not that hard. A-B-D-E-L, all right? Just like just Abdel. It just rolls off the tongue. But she said, I, I think his name is Abdul. Abdul. And then the teen girl said, she said, I think, he, I think he's a Muslim. And, isn't it funny? It's funny how teenagers are. I said, I think he's a Muslim. And uh, just happened to be in the Baptist church with the Bible. <laughs> but anyways... <laughs> She said, okay. She said, she said, well, where is he from? And she said, I remember that. He said multiple times, he's from Chicago. He likes the Chicago Bears. And, and while she's telling this story, the, the mother's friend is listening. She said, time out. Now, they're in Houston, Texas. She said, time out. She said, she said uh, Abdul? Yeah, I think so. She said, okay, we'll get back to that. She said, she said from Chicago? Yes. She said, you laughed, you cried, and then you got saved? Yes. The mother's friend said, I think that's my old youth pastor. <laughs> and she messaged my wife. And she said, she said, Mrs. Judah, she said, would your husband happen to be preaching in, in Houston, Texas? And my wife said, yes. And Stephanie said, oh, I can't believe it. I'm going to go to the service tomorrow. And Saturday rolled around and we got there for the meal before the preaching, and Stephanie showed up. I wish I could take you to when we first met Stephanie. Yeah. Stephanie was just a seventh grade girl living on the other side of the river there in Belpre, Ohio. She uh, was uh, reached through our bus ministry. I don't want to tell you her whole story, but, but she struggled for a while. She was up and down for a while. Then she made some strong commitments to serve God. 
And for several years, Stephanie served God alone. Mom and dad never really came to church. The brother, her brothers were kind of off and on. But boy, Stephanie was just rock solid in the youth group. She was, she was a soul winner. She, was, uh, she had made a bunch of decisions about standards and convictions and had lived them for years. She had taken a stand in her public school. And we were so proud of Stephanie. I remember her senior year, the summer before her senior year of high school, when she came to my office and uh, she said, Brother Jude, I need to tell you something. And I said, what is it, Stephanie? She said, we're moving. Man, my heart sunk. I thought you're moving. Ah. I said, where are you moving to? She said, we're moving to South Carolina. She began to weep and cry. And I knew what that meant. She knew what that meant. The church had become her family. The church had become her life. The church had become her rock and stability and for years, she was sold out to Jesus, and now they're just going to move. She had no say in the matter. She was just in high school, and, and she didn't know if there was a church around there, and she didn't know any of those things. I'm sorry, I said South Carolina. She, she was moving to Texas. I'm sorry. Moving to Texas, Houston area. And she didn't know if there was a church or anything uh, in that area. And, and here we are years later in Houston, and we're sitting at a table. She said, Brother Judah, do you remember that conversation. I said, Stephanie, I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. She said, do you remember what you said to me after I told you we were moving? I said, Stephanie, I don't remember. I don't remember what I said to you. She said, I remember. She said, I've rehearsed it in my mind so many times. She said, Brother Judah, we did move to Houston and I gave her the name of one church that I knew in the area, but Houston's a massive area, and, and uh, the church was too far. She was on the total opposite end of town, over an hour away. The church didn't have a, a bus ministry or an outreach that could get her, and so she said, I attended that church one time, but after that, my parents wouldn't take me, and I couldn't get to church. And to be honest with you, Brother Judah, I just kind of trailed off. No church, no friends, no youth group, no preaching. Said so I went to the public school, and man, I started to go downhill. She said, but every time I got this close to messing up with the Judah, I remember what you said. She said, you looked at me there in your office, and you said, Stephanie, I know it's going to be difficult, and I know it's going to be hard. I said, but Stephanie, look at me. You can make it. If anybody can make it, you can make it. If anybody can be strong, you can be strong. And if anybody can keep their convictions, you can keep their convictions. She said, Brother Judah, I got away. And there were times I almost crossed the line, but I, I kept hearing your voice. You can make it. You can make it. And I would come back. And as she said, uh, that happened my whole senior year. And, and uh, then when I went off to college, and she said, but I finally got into church and met my husband. And there she was uh, with her husband and her children. She said, Brother Judah, it's a crazy story. She said, we got married and we moved to South Carolina. And my parents moved with us to South Carolina. My dad didn't have a job. And, and she said, we got involved in church because we're a Christian family. And my parents started to attend the church that we were in. And she said, Brother Judah, man, we could never get them to church in West Virginia. And their marriage struggled. But, but when they moved with me to South Carolina, they got into church and, and uh, uh, they, they got saved. She said, and Brother Judah, God has healed their marriage. 
She said, I've taken my mother and my father through discipleship. She said, it's the strangest thing. I'm like a child. I'm their daughter. And I'm showing them how to live for God. She said, Brother Judah, they're doing so well that when we moved back to Houston, they just decided to stay plugged in to that church in South Carolina. She said, we moved back to Houston and we started working in the church. She said, and my husband here is the assistant youth pastor of the church. She said, the, one of the girls that got saved last night was from our youth group. Man, it was a blessing. I preached that night, the altars were full, and I watched Stephanie and her husband go from person to person. I watched her kneel beside some of the young ladies and pray over them and, and uh, help them and fill out decisions cards with them. And man, I sat there and I thought, who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought years ago that, that I had a chance to trade a few dollars for a scene like that? Hey, is it worth it to serve God? There is a payoff. There's a payoff. God's been good to me. Derek, would you come up here? And this is Derek. He's the one still willing to help me with illustrations. The other, the other kids wouldn't dare come up here. But you say, Brother Judah, is it worth it? Is it worth it to serve God? Don't you wish, Brother Judah, that maybe, you know, you would have gone off and lived for yourself? No. The payoff. The payoff. I don't know what God's going to do in Derek's life. I don't know what God's going to do in Alana's life or in Adam's life, in our youth group's life. I don't know what God's going to do in the life of the young people. If I have a small influence in their heart at college, I don't know. I don't know what God is going to do. But I'll say this, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for a dollar. I wouldn't trade it for a house somewhere. Hey, the devil says, take the goods, but give me the people. Don't make a deal with the devil. Thank you, Derek. You can be seated. You see, here's what we ought to say. This for every teenager and every adult in the room. Here's what we ought to say. When Satan comes our way and he offers us a deal, we ought to say, somebody's already visited me. We ought to say, Satan, someone better than you has already visited me. Melchizedek has already stopped by. He's already prayed. He's already given me uh, uh, oil and wine. He's already blessed me. Uh, Jesus has already passed by. Hey, Satan, you're a little too late because somebody has already visited me. You offer me a day. He offers a life. Uh, you promise me some happiness. He gives joy unspeakable and full of glory. You want to give me a bag of gold. He gives me a city paved with gold. You offer a moment. He wants to give me an eternity. He'll tell me a lie. Jesus will give me the truth. You offer me some stuff. He's given me some substance. Hey, friends, don't make a deal with the devil. Don't do it. Say, Brother Judah, that's a good teen message. No, that's a good adult message. Hey, that's a good Brother Judah message. Because he's always crawling out of a slime pit somewhere. He always wants to get your attention off the people that you could should and would have reached had you not gotten distracted. 
Here's the pen. Here's the table. Here's the contract. It's real simple. Satan's after the people. He's after the souls. He's after the dollars that would have gone to missions. He's after the people around the world that are lost. He's, he's after the people, and he'll give you just about anything if he can get his hands on the people. Don't make a deal with the devil.